Hey, Cornerstone. Hey, uh, thank you, the three of you that are excited to be here. That's good. Maybe more of us will be excited when we get done. I uh, just want to say hi to the, uh, everyone at Santan and everybody at Scottsdale. Man, it is so fun to have you guys joining us and being part of what God's doing and just proud for you guys to be here with us. Uh, we're in a series uh, called David. And it's, uh, we're calling it the, the unlikely story of a king, because here's a kid that when, if you looked at him as he starts out in his life, you would have never thought, you would have never thought that this guy was ever going to ascend to the throne. And yet God takes him through a series of events and steps in his life that, that fully prepare him for this. He ends up being one of the most honored, revered kings in all of the history of Israel. It is an unlikely uh, story of a king. And uh, as we've watched this and watched what God did to get that young boy ready for this amazing assignment, you and I are learning lessons that apply to our own lives. And so we're going to go back. We're going to do it again today. So here's what I do. If you'll grab your Bibles real quick, uh, we'll go back toward the story. It's First Samuel uh, chapter 24. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible, then start working to the right, you're going to find First uh, Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 24, and then while you're going there, so let me ask you this question. How many of you would say, look, uh, at some point in my life, at some time in my life, I've had like a really horrible boss? Or you say, you know what, I had some parents I was ready to trade in. Or uh, you'd say, there was a teacher, man, and I'm just telling you, she was wicked. Okay, how many people say, I've had, at some point in my life, I've had that experience with somebody in leadership over me? Some of you guys are like, have just lived charmed lives. Okay, all right. So here's, so you can go to sleep because it's not going to apply to you. But uh, for the rest of us, this is going to be interesting because David is living this exact moment. He finds himself having to deal with a leader who is less than stellar. Matter of fact, his leader is horrifically uh, bad. Uh, Saul uh, is the king of Israel. And it's interesting because God's already said to David, you're going to be the next king, which has caused Saul, of course, to be incredibly jealous because now his son's not going to be the next king. God's going to skip uh, uh, Saul's family line. He's going to jump over uh, to David's. And Saul is just absolutely outraged at this idea. And Saul's answer is simply this. If I kill David then uh, God doesn't get to do what he wants to do. And so as we get ready to dive into this passage today, Saul has twice, twice laid secret plans to kind of get David into the room and then to try to assassinate him. Both of those attempts at this point have failed. So now David, getting smart, is on the run with about 300 men. Saul is pursuing him with 3,000 men. And it just so happens, as Saul is chasing David down like a dog, that uh, Saul calls a potty break. And he says, hey, you guys, wait here. Uh, I'm going to head over to this cave. Scripture says he went there to relieve himself. Uh, you can fill in uh, the blanks. Let's just say it was a lengthy visit. And uh, so Saul is in the cave. Here's the really interesting part about this. The cave that Saul 
picks to relieve himself is the cave that David and his men are hiding in. And in that moment, David's men turn to David and say, okay, answer to all your problems. God has just delivered your enemy into your hands. And the way that David responds in this moment, think about this, the way that David responds to this horrible, unfair, evil leader in his life is absolutely surprising. It will be completely counterintuitive to what you and I would want to do when we encounter bad leadership. It's going to absolutely uh, blow our minds how he behaves and how he treats Saul in this moment. And you and I are going to learn a lesson about leadership today that has the ability to change the course of our lives if we'll let it sink in, if we're willing to be surprised. Okay? So here we go. First Samuel chapter 24. Starting in verse 1, here's what it says. After Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men, so the best 3,000 troops that he had, from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, this is the day. This is so cool. The Lord has spoke about when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut a corner off of Saul's robe. Afterwards... After he cuts this corner off of Saul's robe. Afterward, David is conscience-stricken. He's heart-sick. He begins to think to himself, well, how in the, I should have never done that. Isn't that an interesting response? Here's what he says. Uh, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should be doing such a thing. To my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And if you read the rest of the story, as it goes on, uh, David walks out uh, to the mouth of the cave after Saul has gone back down and kind of into the valley. He says, hey, Saul, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, God delivered you into my hands. I had the opportunity. I could have killed you. Matter of fact, my men were telling me to, and instead I simply cut a corner off your robe. See, look at your robe right now because I've got the corner. And if Saul, if I was really your enemy, if my heart was to cause you harm, wouldn't I have killed you just now? But instead... I did this. Now, guys, this is a, this is a remarkable response because let's be honest. Every one of us who's lived with a less than capable leader, every one of us who's had somebody in authority over us deal with us unfairly, isn't it true that we prayed every single night, dear God, dear God, give them hemorrhoids? We, we just said, look, 
Whatever you have to do, Lord, to make this fair, to remove them from leadership, to, to expose them for, for all of their bad decisions. And the truth is, if we had been given the opportunity to, to expose or show or, or get rid of, we would have taken it. We would have listened to the men and said, all right, God apparently has delivered my leader into my hands, and I'm going to trade my parents for my friends. Parents. I, I'm going I'm to get rid of this supervisor. That's what I'm going to do. And yet David's response is so different than that. And it's part of what qualifies him as king, which is why you guys, 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 it's why you and I have got to understand why he did what he did. Because you and I will live this same moment and how we live it if we choose to kill the king in the cave or if we decide to let him go. It's going to change our lives. Now, now to explain what David was thinking, to kind of grasp what was going on, I've got to take you to the New Testament to a passage that talks about biblical authority, talks about people that God has placed in leadership in our lives. So, Leave your finger in 1 Samuel, but go with me real quick, okay? We're going to go real quickly through three points here that are going to help us understand why David did what David did and why David felt the way that David felt. And hopefully it's going to change our heart about our leaders. So it's, it's Romans chapter 13. And again, if you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Romans. Romans chapter 13. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you've gone too far, come back to the right-hand side. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 13, and there's a discussion here about leadership, about people who are in authority over our lives and how you and I are to, to respond to them. And there's three real quick principles that you and I have got to get out of this. So here we go. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Everyone, okay, so just big guess, big guess, how many people is everyone? Most people. Okay. Everyone must, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, not a single one, even your lousy teacher. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. And you go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I, look, if I had a good authority in my life, I mean, look, you know, if I was working for the church, and, and I knew that my supervisors prayed every day and were leading me by biblical values, I get it, I get it. I get that rebelling against that would be wrong, and I would never want to do it. God's not talking about good authorities. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about really, really bad authorities. Think about, right, right, watch. We were just reading in the book of, this is not a trick question. <laughs> we were just reading in the book of Romans. We were reading in the book of Romans because guess who's in power at the time of the writing of this book? The Romans. So guys, think about this. God could not be asking Christians to follow a darker, more unbiblical, heathenistic group of leaders than he does in this moment. Imagine this. This is what it'd be comparable to. Imagine if tomorrow you woke up and everybody in government completely denied God and worshiped 
pagan gods. And as they got up to explain why they made their laws and why they made their decisions, every time they made a reference to an idol or a false god. Imagine if in the White House, on a routine basis, they were having orgies. Imagine, no, 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 no never mind. I won't even go there. I won't even go there. Imagine that we had invaded Canada and Mexico and taken them over so that we could enslave them and gain taxes. Imagine that in the midst of all of this, you were denied a vote. And if that were true, you would be under a government similar to the one that Scripture just said, honor them. Honor them. David, think about the guys, guys. David, as he gets ready to honor Saul, a guy who's tried to kill him three times, I guarantee you, you've never had a supervisor that bad. And yet David is going to, here's the principle you got to get. And this is hard for us because especially in our Western American culture, here's what we say. I will follow a leader as long as they are follow worthy. As long as I can respect them, as long as I can say, hey, they've they've done what they said and they behave like they, if I can respect them, then I'll follow them. That is not biblical. Let me just say this again. That is not biblical. Instead, Scripture is going to come back and say to you and me that you and I are to honor the position even if we can't respect the person. David, in this moment, as he is responding to Saul, he's not responding to Saul because he goes, oh, what a great king, and he loves the Lord Jesus, and how dare I cut a corner of his robot. He is saying in this moment, he's my king. Crummy as he is, he's my king. How dare I lift my hand against my king? He is honoring the position, even though he has absolutely no respect for the person. Guys, 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 this is why it's okay for parents to say to their kids, because I told you so. What you're saying in the moment, I don't care if you don't agree. I don't care if you think I've lost my mind. I'm your dad. Honor the position. I don't care if you agree. Men, this is why when your kids are sassing back to their mom, And even though in that moment, the kid is making more sense than your wife, you say to your kids, hey, don't talk like that to your mom. What are you doing in that moment? You're asking them to honor the position, even if they're struggling in the moment to respect the person. It's biblical. It's a value of leadership. My son Josh is in sixth grade, and he ends up with a really tough teacher. I mean, not, not only was she tough on grades and tough on the kids and, and really, really demanding, she had a propensity to demean the kids who weren't doing well. So she'd hand back papers, and she'd go, oh, my goodness, a 67. How did you get a 67? And she'd do this in front of the whole class. Tommy, how did you miss... Answer 13. We talked about that at least three times in class. How dumb are you in front of the class? And so Josh comes home and he says, Dad, this this woman's horrible. She's treating us horribly. 
And we did some research. We went and looked, and sure enough, I mean, he was not exaggerating. She was that bad. Guess what we did? We left him in the class. We, we made a conscious decision that said, no, 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 she is. She's, she's not a great teacher. She's, she's probably a, a bad teacher. But we, we decided that Josh was old enough, mature enough, and capable enough to now be navigating this lesson that said, hey, Josh, I know, I know, I know. I know you're struggling to respect her, but I'm going to ask you to honor her because she's your teacher. Josh was so thankful we made that decision. He was like, oh, wow, you are the greatest parents. Thank you. Thank you for leaving me in the class with a bad teacher. Here's, here's what we said to Josh. Josh, here's, here's, here's what we're thinking. Here's why we're doing this. I guarantee you throughout the rest of your life, you're going to run into dozens of bad leaders. And if every time you run into a bad supervisor, bad lead, and you run, you won't hold a job for more than six months. And guys, I'm going to say this out loud. There are times, and sometimes you have a leader that you have the option to leave, and it's okay. It's okay if you say, look, I just don't want to work for that person anymore. I don't want to do it. It's okay. I'm just telling you, before you run, be very, very careful that God is not using that leader to grow something in your life. And so before you walk away, just be sure you have permission to walk away. And so we said to Josh, Josh, we think there's a greater lesson for you to learn here. Because there's going to be moments over and over again where you're going to have to follow leaders you're not too excited about. Fast forward. Last year, my grown son is coming to me and he says, Dad, my, my supervisor stinks. I mean, she, she's horrible. And, you know, the truth is, it wasn't necessarily all her fault that they had put her in a position that she probably wasn't prepared for. She was struggling to understand what to do, and she was making a lot of knee-jerk decisions, and they were just all going downhill. And Josh said, you can see him. You can see the decisions bad before it even, and it just, it's, it's tough. And I said, Josh, here's what you need to do. And he goes, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Honor the position. Even if I'm struggling to respect the leader, you know, it's interesting because when the powers that be came to look at that division and saw how Josh had behaved, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the failure of the supervisor had nothing to do with Josh's behavior. She, she was completely seen for her own struggle because Josh had honored and supported. And when they transferred her, which was a great decision, they put her in a different department, she was much more capable, she's thriving there. When they transferred her, they promoted Josh. Sometimes, sometimes God is teaching you and me to honor the position, even if you struggle with the person. Back to the passage. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 3, principle number 2. For rulers, rulers do not hold terror for those who do right. If you're doing what you ought to do, then you don't have any reason to worry. But for those who do wrong... Do you want to be free from fear from the one that's in authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you. 
But he who, but he, ready for this? He or she is God's servant. That leader, that leader you're struggling with, that leader who's making, that leader who you would have never picked for yourself is God's servant to do you good. You, you get the God saying, look, 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 there are lessons, there are things that I'm going to teach you through this person's leadership, even through their failure that, that, that you might not learn another way. Maybe because you're too stubborn, maybe because you're too hard-headed, and so we're going to do this. Or if, if nothing else, guys, if nothing else, I'm going to let you watch this leader and watch their struggles so that you learn what never to do. That when you have the opportunity for leadership, you've already figured out a whole bunch of leadership lessons by simply doing the opposite of what your struggling leader did when they were in charge. But they are there, you ready? For your good. And here's what you've got to figure out, and here's what you've got to decide. Is God bigger, stronger, smarter than your manager, than your parent, than your teacher? Is God bigger, stronger, smarter? Because here's the deal. If your manager is bigger, stronger, smarter than God, then you're in trouble. <laughs> Woo! But if God is bigger than them, why are you worried? Matter of fact, and you won't have to go there, but in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it simply says this. You ready? The heart of the king is in the hand of God, and he turns it as if it was a waterway. He gets done, even through bad leaders, what he needs to get done. And if God is bigger, stronger, smarter than your leader, why are you worried? God's still in charge. God's still doing what he needs to do. Some of you know my story, you know that years ago, I'm serving at a church in Scottsdale. I've got a thriving youth group. I was working with students at the time. Kids are going into ministry. Kids are going off to the missions field. Kids are going off to college and standing firm in their faith because they've been so, it was just, it was an amazing time. And then we have a pastoral change and a new pastor comes in. The new pastor wanted his friends to come be on his staff. And so he began to work all of us that were already there out. And I ended up about a year into it, fired, just completely unjustly, completely unfairly, couldn't have been less honorable. And I remember, I remember praying at the time and saying, God, if you could just expose that man, if, 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 you know, I'm just thinking a small car accident, something, something, to <laughs> let, God, help him understand, help him understand for his own good, for help him understand. Here's the thing, and you guys, again, that know my story know this. I leave Scottsdale. I end up in Yucaipa in Southern California. I spend the next seven years in unbelievable thriving ministry, mentored by an unbelievable man of God, learning the very leadership lessons that I needed to be able to come here and lead this church. And guys, 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 you ready for this? I now understand that man, as wrong as he was, as unbelievably unfair as he was, as unjust as my termination was, you realize he was the hand of God in my life? I would have never left Scottsdale. He literally, because God is bigger, stronger, smarter than my supervisor, was the hand of God to send me to the next assignment. And guys, until you get this, until this starts to sink in, you're going to sit around the rest of your life and you'll be going, oh, my parents were the cruddiest parents. 
man, they did so many things wrong with me. I, okay. You realize they were the hand of God? You, you realize you did not get the wrong parents. You got the right parents, as wrong as they were, as unfair as they were, as many mistakes as they made, because God needed you to be exposed to those lessons so that you would grow to be the person he needed you to be. And until you can thank God for your parents, you will spend the rest of your life being the victim. Is your God bigger, stronger, smarter than your supervisor? Third lesson. Back to the passage. Verse 5. Here's what it says. Therefore, because of this, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of the possible consequences. Here's what you got to get. Here's what it's trying to say. You realize that every time you and I abort our authority, every time you and I say, look, 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 I don't agree. I know that you're wrong. I can prove you in the Bible you're wrong. I, I, can, I can, there's not a leadership book that wouldn't say that what you're doing right now is just wrong. And every time that you and I step out and say, well, then I'm just not going to follow you. Every time you and I get more focused on the person instead of on the position and we walk away, the Bible says you and I expose ourselves to consequence. Let me see if this helps. Here's what the Bible says: that when you and I choose to live under authority, even when we don't agree, and maybe, guys, guys, isn't it true that the most important times to follow Jesus are not when we agree with Jesus? It's when we absolutely go, God, I don't think you got that one right. Isn't it true that the most important time to follow a leader is not when you go, oh, I would have done that to myself. It's when you and I are going, man, I just think there's a better way. I, I, just, I just think... That could be different. Isn't that when following becomes honoring? And what God's saying is, look, when you live under the authority that God's given you, whether it's good or bad or whatever, whatever that authority, it doesn't matter. When you live under her, you realize there's things coming. There's consequences in life. There's events happening in life. And because you're under authority, God will honor you. And a bunch of that, just like rain, will run off and you will never be affected by it because you stayed under God-appointed authority. But the moment you go, oh, no, no, no. I totally disagree. I don't like your decision. I'm going to do this my own way. What Scripture just said is you expose yourself. You realize you immediately place yourself in a position where now all the consequences, all of that stuff coming hits you directly because you've stepped out from under God-appointed authority in your life, and now you're taking it all on face first. You know what's interesting? I can't tell you how many Christians I run into, and they're going, man, my life is blowing up. I have no idea why God is doing this to me. And you immediately ask, are you living under the authority of Scripture. Are you doing exactly what the Bible says? Well, no, I didn't like that verse. I thought that was the stupidest thing God ever wrote, so I'm not obeying that. 
And now all of a sudden, in their life, they're going, why is God doing this to me? Is God doing that to you? Or if you were actually obeying what Scripture said, would you be under protection? See, I got a feeling an awful lot of what we blame God for is our own disobedience and the natural consequences of it. Let me see if this helps. Imagine a 16-year-old girl. And uh, her father comes to her and says, honey, here's, here's my heart. Here's my goal. I'm, I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to play my dad card. And I'm just going to ask you. I want you to wait until marriage before you're ever physical. I'm, I'm just going to ask you to do that. And she says, dad, you are, you're, that's so old-fashioned. Matter of fact, I happen to know that you and mom didn't even do that. And so I'm just, No. No, you're being hypocritical. I refuse to do that. You realize that that would be social suicide for me. No. She ends up pregnant. And the 16-year-old boy is long gone. She's dropping out of school to take care of a baby. College, college is not even an option. You realize her entire life is changed. And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if instead, and I know this is a stretch, but what if instead, as a 16-year-old, she had said, you know what, Dad, I totally disagree. I think that's the stupidest thing. I, I, I but I'm going to honor the position of Dad, and I'll wait. No pregnancy. We finish high school, we go to college. You, you realize how different her life is. For listening in a moment that she thought her parent was absurd. I wonder how many moments you and I have looked at the Word of God or something that God told us to do or a supervisor, a parent, or somebody that God put in our lives and just said, no, no and stepped out from under authority to live in the full consequence of the world, in which God says, if you would have simply honored, if you would have simply said, God, I disagree, but I'm going to honor you as God, and so I'm going to do it. I, I don't like what the Bible says about that, but I'm going to honor that the Bible is an authority over my life. I, I get this supervisor, it's just a horrible supervisor, but God, you've placed him in my life, and so I'm simply going to honor the position, even though I don't like the person. I wonder how different our lives would have been. I wonder how much pain we would have avoided if we had understood what David understood and chosen to live under biblical authority. Now go back. Now go back to the passage. 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel. Okay, those of you that have Bibles, do this real quick so I feel like someone's looking this up. Just, it'll make a pastor feel better. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Knowing what you and I know, that God asks us to honor the position and not the person, that God places authority in our lives to teach us lessons that we need to know. That when we stay under biblical authority, we avoid all sorts of consequences in our life. Knowing that, 
does David's response seem so bizarre anymore? Or do you go, oh, I get exactly what that guy was thinking. I understand the story now. And here's the remarkable. The remarkable thing is what happens because David, inside that cave, stayed under an authority that he didn't respect, but he chose to honor. You ready? Watch this. It's 1 Samuel chapter 24. Watch Saul's response to David's behavior. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 16. When David had finished saying this, when David's standing outside the cave and going, Saul, look, God delivered you into my hands. I could have killed you. But instead, I chose. I chose to honor the fact that you're my king. And look, if I was your enemy, if I was wishing you harm, I had a chance. And I didn't. I honored you as my king. When David had finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? Look how far that heart has come. David, is that you, my son? And he wept out loud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You've treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me how the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds an enemy, does he let him go unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. Watch this, verse 20. I know, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. You get in that moment because of the honor that David extends to his leader, his leader's heart is transformed. A wicked, wicked man is changed. It's interesting. We've got a guy on staff. His name's David Rubelid, and he's, he's our worship pastor out at the Santan campus. And we were talking through a little bit of this message, and he said, Lynn, I've, I've lived this. He says, years ago, I was on staff at a church, and I had gotten hired, and probably six weeks in, I was going, oh my goodness, I think I've made the worst mistake of my life. The senior pastor was just horrible. He was so condescending to everybody on staff. He treated us all so horribly, the littlest things, and he'd go off on us. And, and he said, I, I literally, I literally was ready to bail out. And a friend said to me, hey, honor the position. Do everything he asks you. Honor the position, even though you're struggling with the man. And so he did. For weeks, he just, he did everything he was asked, and he went a mile beyond it. He just, he said, look, I'm going to honor that this guy's my pastor. I'm just going to do it. Finally, one day, they're sitting down to a cup of coffee, and he just said to the pastor, David said, is something, something bothering you? And in tears, his pastor said to him, I'm struggling. I, I just feel like I'm beating my head against the wall in everything I do. I, I'm beginning to wonder if I even belong in ministry right now. And he said, I know. I know I'm taking it out on everybody else because I'm struggling so hard in my heart. And David prayed with him, and David stayed with him. Did you know that they ended up doing ministry together for the next three years as friends? And to this day, David and him call each other on a regular basis. You see, when you honor the position, even when the man or woman is struggling, 
there's always the chance you change the heart of the king. Here's what I'm going to ask. <laughs> Who is it in your life right now? You'd say, boy, that, that's the leader. That's the leader I, I, that's the leader I have the hardest time with. I have the least amount of respect for. Interestingly enough, there's, there's 50-year-olds in this room who say, my parents are still that person I'm struggling with. Okay. Do this. 14 days of honor. 14 days from this day for the next two weeks that you and I would simply say, I am going to honor the position even though I struggle to respect the person. I, I, I'm going to go beyond. I'm, I'm going to show them nothing but honor. And I want to see what God will do in the heart of the king. I, I want to see what God will do in my heart as I honor leadership in my life. I'm guessing this would not just be the people in our lives. I'm guessing this would also be the Bible and God, 14 days of honor and see what God does. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're just going to be honest. Boy, put us in the cave. <laughs> we're pulling our knives. Give us our enemy in our hand. Give us the leader who has failed so often, and we're pushing them off the throne. And God, it's the wrong response. You've called us in that moment to believe that you've placed in our lives the right people in leadership, even in the midst of their mistakes that there are lessons to learn, there are things that were to be taught, there's, there's life change that happens when we honor the position despite not respecting the person. God, would you take us, would you do something in our community? Would, would the Southeast Valley be sit back in awe for the next 14 days that the people of Cornerstone give honor maybe even and especially to people who don't deserve it. And God, would you use us to change the heart of the king. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.